Happy Thanksgiving weekend. I guess everybody's full of turkey and ham. We still have some left. If anybody needs some, I'd love to uh, share it with you. I'm not much of a leftover guy. So uh, I see some familiar faces that were here in the first service, so y'all are either really slow or uh, I did a poor job. So you're going to hear the same jokes, same lesson. This is your chance to leave. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been at a place in your life where you thought, there's got to be more to life than the life I'm living. Am I the only one that's been there? Yeah, I've been there lots of times. Uh, You know, sometimes there's just phases in our life where we go through and you're like, you know, maybe you're single and you feel that need, I'm going to get married, I I need a spouse. So clearly that, you know, there's that. Then there's um, maybe... It's time for a child. You know, you just that the bell rings and it's time. I need a child. Uh, need, a, need a change. Sometimes we can look at someone in the world and according to the world's eyes and maybe the way you look at them, you think they have it all. Every possession they could want, they have. They can go anywhere, do anything they want. But inside of them, there's still this something. There's got to be more than what I have. That's something, I believe, is something that's calling you or somebody that's calling you. The world calls us, clearly. The world would like to call us out and do lots of things that don't line up with God's word to distract us from living the life God wants us to live. And Christ calls out to us, too. You know, Christ calls out to us to enter a new world, have a new life. And I want to talk to you about that today. And then we'll talk about whose call do you want to answer Do you want to answer the call of the world or do you want to answer the call of Christ to enter a new life in a new world? This Thanksgiving is blessed to have both my daughters and my grandson Gavin with us. And um, how many of you believe that the creator of something knows better than anybody else what that thing that was created needs? Right? So... My daughter and her husband, who created Gavin, know better than anybody what Gavin needs. At 20 months old, he's got a lot to say, a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas, but you have to have the gift of interpretation of tongues to understand exactly what it is he needs, which I don't have, but his mom and dad do. So, means I need some milk. Means I want to go on a golf cart ride. Means I want that for Christmas. Does that make sense to you? His parents created him. They know what Gavin needs. And God, our creator, he created us, and he knows what we need. He's always calling us out to follow him. He wants what is best for us, just like Jay and Taylor wants what's best for Gavin. Sometimes that requires discipline, and sometimes that requires waiting. But God is always there. We can never get away from him. Jonah tried to run from God, remember? And when he ended up in the valley of the well, who was there? God was there. Remember when Elijah did that great miracle and all the prophets of Baal were slaughtered? 
And instead of thinking, man, I'm so close with God, he begins to fear for his life and he runs and he ends up in a cave. And guess who was in a cave? God was in a cave. In fact, the scripture says, God said to him, why are you here? He didn't say, why are you there? He said, why are you here? I'm here and now you're here. God is always with us wherever we go. And he's always calling us. He's always reaching out to us. He always is saying, come to me. Come and enter into a new world and live a new life. In the spirit of thanksgiving, let's talk a little bit about the first thanksgiving. In 1608, there was a group of people that had that feeling. You know, a new, I need a new world. I need a new life. They were called separatists because they wanted to separate from the Church of England. They wanted to be able to worship God freely the way they believed the Bible and the Holy Spirit was leading them to worship God. But in order to do that, they had to leave England and the persecution of the English church. So they first went to a village in, uh, called Leiden in a town in Holland. And there they enjoyed some religious freedom, but they became disenchanted with the lifestyle of the people in Holland. So they decided that they would seek out a different place. They felt a different, they felt God calling them saying, this is not where I want you to be. So they arranged for a number of their congregation to sail to a new world, to start a new life, with plans of the rest of the congregation to join them. And in this new world, in this new life, they would worship God according to how God wanted to be worshipped. In September of 1620, there was a merchant ship called the Mayflower, and it set a sail from Plymouth, a port on the southeastern coast of England. And the ship carried 120 passengers. Forty of the passengers were the Protestant separatists, and there was a crew of 30 to 40 people. They sailed the northern Atlantic for 66 days. After arriving, they found a brutal winter. It was so cold that 46 of the original 102 died. But the first fall after they had arrived was a bountiful harvest. So they decided to have a feast of thanksgiving to thank God for what he had done in their life. The feast lasted three days. There were over 90 Native American Indians that joined them. A lot, the belief is they would not have been able to survive at all if it hadn't been for the help of the Indians. Their dinner was, didn't have turkey, I don't think. There's no record of that. But the English word turkey back then uh, described anything that was a fowl. So they had duck, they had geese, clearly they had venison. They didn't have any pumpkin pie because they didn't have any flour, but they did have fried pumpkin, and they had plums and all kinds of berries, uh, fruits, uh, fish, lobster, clams. This feast was not repeated the next year. In fact, it was many years before it was repeated. But in 1863, President Lincoln proclaimed the last Thursday 
in November to be Thanksgiving Day, a time of thanksgiving to God. It's encouraging to think that we had a president that wanted to acknowledge that God was worthy to be thanked. In 1941, Congress declared the fourth Thursday in November as the legal day to celebrate Thanksgiving. That's how we got Thanksgiving. When the Mayflower set out on its trip, it was not a pleasant trip. I know a lot about boating. I'm like an expert on boating. We came to Granbury 22 years ago, and after a couple of years, a guy at work talked me into buying this old inboard outboard boat. I think it's maybe 18 feet long. It's a little bitty thing. I think it was very powerful. I think it had hamsters that powered it. <laughs> so the first time out on the on the lake, we decide we're gonna ski. So we select Lauren. I think she was seven to ski. So I get in the water. She has these training skis on, and I don't know if you know what those are like but actually the t ski ropes attached to the skis and then there's a rope that comes up from the skis that you hold on to this makes it easier to get up out of the water so I knew everything about boating I'd been driving a boat for like 30 minutes <laughs> so I get in the water with Taylor after giving my wife about 30 seconds of instruction on how to drive a boat I remember as I'm getting in the water she's asking me where's the brake so that should have been the first clue. So we get in, we take Lawrence ready, off we go. She falls. The skis are on so tight they don't come off. And as the boat goes down the lake, Lauren goes deeper and deeper underwater. She finally, after the boat stops, the brakes applied, I guess. Lauren floats to the top. She's hysterical. We get in the boat and we go home. Our next trip out. We're not going to be so adventuresome. We're going to enter tube. So uh, Lauren still had not recovered from her skiing uh, episode. So we get five-year-old Taylor to enter tube. We get her all ready. We give her the hand signals, faster, slower, stop. Off we go. If things are going really, really good. In fact, they're going so good that we just are enjoying the scenery looking at the houses, looking at other, waving at people. Look at us. We're boaters. We know what we're doing. And then we happen to look back, and here's this empty inner tube just bouncing around. This is true. This is a true story. So we turn around, and we go back, and here's little five-year-old Taylor bawling her eyes out. She said, I, I was doing the hand signals. Why didn't you stop? So we get her in the boat, and we go home. And the third time we went out, things are great. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to park the boat and float around. We do. It's great. We get back in. The boat starts great, but it won't go anywhere. For some reason, the propeller had spun off the boat. So, being a mighty man, I get in and pull the boat swimming to shore. But not to be discouraged, we got a new boat. <laughs> and I got training on how to drive a boat. But all that to say, <laughs> the people that were on the Mayflower uh, were faced with tremendous adversities. Uh, the Mayflower is about 100 foot long. It would fit in here. Um, 
there were 102 passengers that lived on the middle deck. There was a upper deck, there was the gun deck, and then there was a cargo deck. So the 102 passengers lived on the gun deck to give you a sense of how big the gun deck was. The average size of a basketball court is about 84 foot long and 50 feet wide. Well, the dimensions of the gun uh, level where the passengers live was 58 feet long and 24 feet wide. So that's about this area right here. 102 people. They even had a baby during that trip. 102 people for six months sailing over to a new world for a new life. Plus livestock. They had chickens and pigs and cows. All of them in this small area. So why did they do it? Well, they did it, as I said, for a new world and a new life. We're all familiar with the story told in Matthew chapter 4. This is about Jesus uh, walking beside the Sea of Galilee and starting his, his uh, ministry. In chapter 3 of Matthew, Jesus uh, is baptized by John the Baptist. He's led into the wilderness. He's tempted. Angels minister to him. He, he, uh, John the Baptist is imprisoned, and Jesus starts his ministry. So he started his ministry and. In Matthew 4, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter and his brother Andrew. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father, and they followed him. Jesus called his disciples while they were in the boat. That boat was where they made their livelihood. That boat was where they felt safe. That boat was where they had these gifts and talents that they provided for their family with, and they were professionals at it. When I look across the congregation, I see all kinds of livelihoods. I see law enforcement people and builders. I see investors. I see people in hospital radiology business and car investors. I see people in um, the horse business and the software business. I see all people from all walks of life. I see people that have, that's their career. I see women whose career is working in their home, taking care of their family, supporting their husband. I mean, that, that is their career, their professional career. But you know that God has another career for us. We have a spiritual career. What we do on earth to provide for ourselves and our family, it's appropriate that we do that. The Bible says we should work. But also, that, I realize that that's not what we were called just to do, is to make a living. If all you're doing is just making a living, then you, you have inside you, <laughs> there's got to be more than life, to life than just making a living. So when Christ called out to his disciples and said, come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he essentially was saying, I know you have a career, but I have a spiritual life. I want you 
to live with me. I want you to enter my world, this new world, and begin a new life. And that's what Jesus is calling out to all of us every day. Come, follow me. I want you to start a new, come in this new world with me and live a new life. They were in the boat, and that is not where Jesus wanted them to stay. I know that when Jesus calls us, he wants to use us, and he wants to change us. Say this with me. God wants to use me. God wants to change me. When he calls you, you can count on it requiring you to trust him. And that trust begins with getting out of the boat. When God calls you, he'll show up. Look at what the disciples saw when they got out of the boat and followed Jesus. Continuing in Matthew 4, it said, Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. I think when Jesus, when he called them to get out of the boat to this new world, this new life, I think he was showing them, see, this is what I called you to do. This is what you are going to do. And when we have the courage to get out of the boat and follow after Christ into this new world, this new life of walking with God, he expects us to do what he did. The scripture tells us that when Christ died and went to heaven, Christ instructed his disciples to stay in um, Jerusalem. He said, the helper's going to come, the Holy Spirit. And Christ said, Basically, the Holy Spirit is going to live in you so that everywhere you go, I am. That's how you can do what I did. And so when Christ calls you from your physical career, and I'm not saying you need to quit your job, but when he calls you into this new world and this new life of walking with God, you can expect it to present some challenges to you. When God calls you, it can be fearful. Anybody been fearful about following God? Let's talk about what it's like to be called by God. There's lots of fears that come with being called by God. One could be a fear of inadequacy. When God called Moses, what did Moses say? Oh, yes, here I am, Lord, send me. I've been waiting for you to call me. I've just been standing by this bush waiting for it to light up. That's not what happened. When he, became, when he came before the bush and God revealed his great plan for Moses, Moses began to argue with God. Have you ever argued with God when you felt like God wanted you to do something? And you being so wise and all-knowing begin to correct the creator. No, that's, that's, that's not right. That's not for me. That's what Moses said. I'm slow of speech. I can't speak well enough to go and tell Pharaoh to let his people go. You need to get my brother. He's a really good speaker. I remember the first time I 
spoke in front of a crowd of people. I was a junior in high school, and uh, it was at the high school football pep rally. So I was captain of a football team, and it was my turn to speak to the school about what we were going to do this Friday night. Yeah, boy. So I was a nervous wreck. I ran to my mama, and, uh, you know, she's like, look, you're going to do fine. Just remember these three things. One, make sure your fly is closed. (laughs) Two, make sure your shoes are tied. And three, try to be funny because you're not as smart as your brother. (laughs) So I have found that to be a very wisdom of those words. I, I try to do all three of those things, and it's worked out well for me. Say this with me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Don't let fear of inadequacy keep you from responding to God's call. If he calls you, he will equip you. When God calls you, it can be fearful, and it can be fear of the unknown. There's a story told about a king and a criminal that was caught for stealing came before him to be punished. And the king said, you have two choices. One, you can choose the rope. Or two, you can choose that big, dark, scary iron door over there. The criminal quickly decided on the rope. And as the noose was being slipped over his head, he turned to the king and asked, by the way, out of curiosity, what's behind that door? Obviously, I'm not going to tell anybody. And the king said, it's freedom. But it seems most people are so afraid of the unknown that they immediately take the rope. Have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something and you didn't do it because you were afraid of the unknown? You wanted to have the whole picture painted out. So God, if I do that, then what's going to happen next? And then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? But that's not how it works. God says, get out of the boat, and if you will get out of the boat, then he'll tell you where to step next, and then he'll tell you where to step next, and then he'll tell you where to step next. So often as Christians, we want God to paint the whole picture before we commit, but that doesn't require faith, does it? I mean, we have faith to live the life that God called us to live, And we know the ending, right? We know that in the end, we're going to go to heaven and meet the Lord if we claim him as our Lord and Savior. So we're not really afraid of the end. We're just afraid of the journey along the way. It's afraid of the unknown. In Matthew 14, 22 through 33, I won't read all of this. This is a story of Jesus walking on the water. He tells his disciples, get in the boat, go over to the other side. So they are... They're doing it, and then late at night they see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter cries out, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you. He says, come on, Peter. So Peter gets out of the boat and begins to water walk. A new world, a new life. Can you imagine a whole new world of walking on water? Amazing. But then we know what happened. Peter began 
to become fearful. How, how is this happening? How am I able to walk on the water? How far? Is he going to stay there? Is he going to come get me? And then he becomes aware of his surroundings, and he starts sinking in the water. You know the story. He became afraid of the unknown. Did you ever think about the other disciples that were in the boat? There were 12 of them. Only one of them got out of the boat and walked. I wonder how many of them started to do it. Like they put one leg over the side of the boat to see how calm the water was. Would, would my, oh, no, my foot is sinking in there. That's not, I'm not a water walker. I mean, do we do that? There's that line of the world between the world and following Christ so we just kind of straddle it or maybe we get on one side for a while and then we get back on the other we get on one side and we get back over the other I mean that's not what God has called us to do he's called us to live in this new world and this new life of following him don't let the fear of the unknown keep you from seeing God do a miracle in your life when God calls you, it can be fearful, and that fear can be due to unbelief. Do you remember when the 12 disciples or 12 spies returned from the promised land? They had just been delivered from slavery, been brought through the desert, food fell from the sky, water came from a rock, quail ran into their frying pan. At night, at day, they were led by a cloud. At night, they were led by a pillar of light. I mean, everywhere they looked, God was with them. And they get to the promised land. And 12 spies go over and come back. And when they come back, two of them said, one of them being Caleb, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. But the other spies said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Later, they characterized the land as one that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. Moses said, that's a bad report. I'm not accepting it. He said it was a bad report because the Lord had said to Moses, saying, send people to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. Hebrews 3, 16 through 18 says, for, those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? They were not able to enter into the promised land because of unbelief. When God calls you to a new world, to a new life, don't let your unbelief rob you of what God has promised for you. Because of the bad report, all the Israelites that were 20 years and older died without going into the promised land, except for... Moses and Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them all died. They didn't ever fulfill the destiny that God had for them because of their unbelief. If God is calling you to do something and serving him, don't let unbelief keep you from doing it 
If God has called you, he will equip you. If God calls you, you can bet he's going to show up. Sometimes God's timing doesn't line up with our timing. Have y'all ever experienced that? God said, and then I don't see it happen. Does that mean God didn't say it? David was anointed to be king when he was a teenager. And he waited 20 years from the time he was anointed before he saw that come to pass. 15 years after he was anointed to be king of Israel, he became king of Judah. And then seven years after that, he became king of Israel. So during that period of time, from when he was anointed to when he became king, was a period of time when God was shaping him and molding him and building his character and getting him ready to be king. So when you hear a word from God or someone prophesies over you or you hear a message and you claim that, if you don't see it come to pass right away, that doesn't mean that's not a truth. That doesn't mean that's not going to happen in your life. It could mean that promise is there for you, but you're not ready for it. And when you are ready, God will recognize it, and then you will assume that position or you will assume that responsibility and you will walk in that new world and live that new life. When I was a much younger man, probably mid-70s, uh, I began trying to serve, not, not in the mid-1970s, not 70s. <laughs> Gee, this is a tough crowd. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, they are. I don't know that I'm going to tell the story now. It was really good. Say, say, please tell the story, Jeff. Okay. So when I was a much younger man back in the 1970s, I was uh, starting to serve God and working with youth. And um, I made some bad decisions. I guess I surrounded myself with some ungodly people. And I ended up in a spot that if someone had said, guess what, Jeff, you're going to be over there doing that. I'd have, had to, I'd have bet any amount of money. That's the only way that happened, someone put a gun to my head and forced me to do it. But nobody did put a gun to my head. I made a bad decision, and then I made another bad decision, which led to consequences, which led to another bad decision, which led to me being as far away from God as you can get. So... Time passes. I marry my beautiful wife. We have children. We move to Granbury and begin coming to this church. And we're at a revival. And uh, there's all different terms you could use to describe what happened to me. I had a vision or experience. Uh, I'm not sure what you would call it. But in that moment, I saw a door appear before me. And the door opened and it was full of all these young people. And I heard the Lord say, see those young people? Those were the young people I had prepared for you to minister. And you walked away and the door closed. And I was heartbroken. So then another door appears. And the door opens. And it's a room full of young people. They were different young people. 
And the Lord said, and these are all the young people I have for you to minister to now. And it was shortly after that, my wife and I became youth ministers here. And we saw a great revival happen in our school, not because of us, but just because of the perfect timing of God and the move of the Holy Spirit at that time. And I look back on that time and just cherish it and recognize how merciful God is and how he can call us to a new world. He can call us to a new life. And we can think that we have disqualified ourselves. And some of you sitting out there today may feel that, well, because I did this or did that, or because I experienced this, or because this, was ha- this happened to me, or this was done to me, that I'm not qualified. So when God calls you to a new world, to a new life, your excuse, and it's an excuse, is I'm not qualified. Well, that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. If God calls you, he will provide for you. He will make a way for you. When God calls you, you have to make a decision. I believe God's calling to some of you here today. It could be to lay down something that is so precious to you. Like he's calling you to get out of the boat and walk on the water with him. And you're going to do it. But you got a whole sack full of stuff you want to take with you. You want to take those idols that you built up in your life. You want to take those memories. You want to take those maybe some bad friends with you that you don't want to give up. But they're going with me. And you try to get out on the water to walk. And you go down like a rock. When God calls you, you have a decision to make. Am I going to answer his call? Am I going to answer the call on his terms? His call is to come to a new life in a new world. Come live the life I've called you to live. What decision are you considering making today? If God is calling to you today, come to this new world and live this new life. What is your answer going to be? Nobody can answer it for you. Only you can answer it. And when God calls you, he will change you. There are no perfect people in this world. As I said earlier, you can't disqualify yourself from serving God. God will take you as you are, and he will mold you and change you into what he wants you to be. God changed Moses. A stutterer who felt inadequate to leading over a million people across the desert to a promised land. God changed David, a shepherd boy, into a mighty king. God changed the lives of everybody that Jesus has touched. He took Peter who denied Christ and he delivered the gospel to the Jews. He took Paul who persecuted the Jews and he he delivered the gospel 
to the everyone that wasn't a Jew. And God can use you today. The pilgrims took the step of faith and got in a boat. It took them 66 days to get to the new world. And when they got there, they got out of the boat. So if you got in this boat with me today and you listened to this journey that we've gone through, then you can consider that we have arrived. We've arrived at the shore and you have a decision to make. If God is calling you today to a new world, to a new life, the decision is yours to make if you'll get out of the boat. Don't be a person that wrestles with regret for not getting out of the boat. If you've got tickets to the Mayflower, pack your bags. What has God called you to do that you haven't pursued, you haven't sought counsel on, you haven't made a list of steps of action to prepare yourself, or that you've said no to, or you've been afraid of, or you think you're disqualified and there's no hope for any of that happening. When God calls us, he then prepares us. And he is not shocked by the detours we take. Moses took a 40-year detour. Don't wait till you're 80. But if you're 80, don't cut yourself out. Maybe he's called you to children's ministry or nursing home ministry or music ministry or to preach or pastor, whatever it is.